Exodus 1. We're really going to be in 28 through 31, but I'm going to start reading in 26. In a small group today, I could ask rhetorical questions if I, non-rhetorical questions if I wanted to. Won't, but I could if I wanted to. This is God's word for us today. Genesis 1, starting in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And Father, we are always needy creatures. The entirety of our existence is dependent upon you. We forget that a shockingly large amount of the time. But today we understand that. With Ashlyn and Jamie in the hospital... And, uh, missing half of our church and a multitude of distractions and difficulties, we understand our weakness in a deeper and greater fashion. And we would ask that you would use this weak and broken vessel who understands that today to do something unbelievable. That in our weakness, you would be strong. That in my weakness, you would be strong and speak. That in our weakness as a congregation, we would be strong to hear, to change, to grow, not because of our strength, but because of yours, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. It's interesting uh, to see the rise, the proliferation of violence in America, and particularly in the younger generations. To see the increased number of shootings in schools in America, shootings in the mall, shootings in movie theaters, shootings in different places, it's uh, intriguing really, Uh, a crazy phenomenon to think of people who are saying, I can't live my life, so I will take others with me. And violence has always been around, we'll see that in Genesis 3 on. But a disturbing trend that's taking place in America amongst the young people of enacting violence upon uh, their peers, upon their younger friends, upon younger children. And it's interesting because of the answers that we see our world offering. 
You, know, you see people in uh, our world saying, well, the problem is guns. That's the problem. We, we need to regulate guns. Guns are just simply violence waiting to happen. Okay, fair enough. Maybe regulation is not the answer, but whatever. You know what it is? Is it's these people are unloved. And they haven't been able, they haven't, they haven't received the love of their parents. They haven't received the affection of their parents or whatever. And I would actually contend there's a different answer. Evolution. You're like, what? Yeah, I got the response I was hoping for. What? No, absolutely it is. It's evolution. I mean, if you actually think about it, this is the generation that was raised with evolution in the schools. This has become their formative worldview. This is the driving understanding of their world. Well, think about it. Every human being is born with two big questions. Who am I and why am I here? Questions that in some form you must answer in order to exist as a human being, right? If you try to answer, who am I? Well, I'm a coconut. Well, that, you're not going to be a functional human being. You have to have some sort of answer for that question. You must. And this generation is the first generation that's been raised with evolution's answer. Who am I? Well, evolution has an answer. You are nobody. You're nobody. You're an accident, a mistake, a cosmic dice roll that ended with you. You were nobody. Now, we looked in the scriptures last week, and God actually has a very different answer. Who am I? Well, I am someone that bears the image of God uniquely according to my own gender. <laughs> Whoa. I bear the imprint of the living God on me, in me, upon me in a way that only dudes can do. My wife has that image in a different way. That's amazing. Very different answer to a very the similar question. You get the second one. Why am I here? Who am I? Well, you're nobody according to evolution. Why am I here? And this is the one that's a little bit even more disturbing. You're here to reproduce. You see, that's actually the answer that evolution, if it's going to be academically honest, has to arrive at. Now, few people are actually gutsy enough to take it to its logical end because it's so crass. To say, if, look, if it's survival of the fittest, what am I here for? I'm here to survive and reproduce. To make sure that my genetic lineage is secured. Which means that I should probably reproduce early and often. And what does it do? It actually reduces humanity simply to our sexuality. And when you think about it, you go, well, wow, that absolutely describes American culture, doesn't it? I mean, when you think about the world in which we live, we are reduced to our gender, to our sex, to our ability to participate in the reproductive process. Which is even more disturbing because of, again, the, the ramifications which no one has the courage to actually admit to, say, single people, you're sinning. You need to get it on according to evolution's standards. You are a detriment to your own existence. But even one step further is if we're going to be academically honest with evolution, we're going to end up having to say that the infertile, the barren, those that, called to sing, that are called to singleness are worthless to humanity. Hear that again. That's what's being taught. 
that if you are unable to reproduce, that you cannot participate in spreading your genetic lineage, you are worthless to humanity because you are a nobody. No, is that what the Bible says? <laughs> Thankfully, no. Thankfully, we're going to get a very different answer, an answer that says you're more than a nobody. You're more than a happy accident. You're more than a cosmic dice roll. You're more than just, well, whew, those amino acids lined up well. Or something much greater. And when forced to confront the question, why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? Why do I even exist? Why is it me instead of some monkey? What am I here for? We're going to get an answer better than just reproduce. We're going to get an answer better than sex. We're going to get an answer better than, well, to be nice. We're going to get an answer better than just have a good run. Enjoy the time you got. That's it. We're going to get an answer better than, well, I was a good person. We're going to get what God says. We're at the tail end of creation week. Verse 1, the introduction, the thematic statement, the thematic, probably better said, a thematic action. In the beginning, from nothing, God created everything. And as he has created everything, he begins to take this world that he has made, this planet, this earth that's spinning and formless and void, and begins to fill it. Filling it with water and seas and land and mountains and birds and creepy crawly things and fish. And eventually on the last day filling it with the pinnacle of creation. Not animals, he makes those earlier. But people. People who bear his image. People who have that question, who am I? And the answer is written all over them. You are his. Your hair proclaims his image. Your cheekbones proclaim his image. Your hands, your fingers, your fingernails. I don't know what they do. I don't know why they grow, but they're there and they're proclaiming his image. Every part of our bodies, every part of our insides, every part of the invisible things that make us up scream that we are his. Who am I? 27. I'm his. First and foremost, I am and always will be his. But God, in dealing with his creation, dealing with these people, does not end with answering simply who they are, but he begins to go one step further and answers the question, why am I here? Why are we human beings placed on this planet, in this time, in this place? Why am I here? Here. Now, this is an interesting sermon structure. It's a one point sermon with a handful of kind of subpoints. And the one point is the shortest point. There's one answer that he gives Why are you here? Well, to take over the world. You're like, What? Wait, what? No, no, wait, what? That's actually, in the, no, really, that is. That's actually why he places us on the planet. That's why he takes human beings, he makes them in his image, and then he puts them on this planet to take over the world. Those that are in my age bracket will be familiar with the greatest cartoon ever made, bar none, the Animaniacs. Actually, didn't last on the television that long. It was very not a popular TV, and, uh, TV show, probably because the, the humor is actually written for adults, but the cartoon characters were written for children, and so it kind of confused people. But they had one running gag on there, two, uh, two mice named Pinky and the Brain, 
And it's this reoccurring characters with a reoccurring gag uh, where the one idiot mouse would ask the other one in the middle of the night, hey, what do you want to do tonight? And the other mouse would answer, to try to take over the world. And so every night they would break out of the cage and enact some sort of crazy cosmic scheme to try to take over the world. And these two little mice, and it was just this great running gag of these little mice that were attempting to take over the world. These little insignificant pink and white creatures, so weak, so fragile, so unable to alter their world around them, is attempt, they are attempting to take over the world. And you're like, wow, that, that is absolutely a beautiful illustration of what human beings are called to be. Well, what do you want to do tonight? Well, the same thing we do every night, to try to take over the world. Why? Because that's exactly what we're called to do. In fact, actually, God goes one step further and gives them the way he wants them to do this. Right? This is not just some risk game. You remember the board game Risk? The most infuriating game in the history of the world. I don't think, I bet you 90% of those games end with somebody flipping the board up and walking away because they're angry. But the whole point was you have to take over the world, but nobody knows the way to do it. There's no clear laid out set of instructions. How am I supposed to take over the world? Well, guess what? It says, first point, take over the world. All right, two strategies following. How am I supposed to take over the world? Well, God blessed them and said, now you kind of have to back out. Remember, we're going to put chapter 2 and combine chapter 2 and 1 to help us understand what's going on. Remember, he's made this entire world, and he's made this entire world good. Now, most of us mistakenly assume the entire world looks like the Garden of Eden. That is actually very incorrect. He has made the entire world wonderful and good and blessed and excellent, but it's wild. And there's one garden. There's one central, magnificent, beautiful, perfect garden with two people in it, and the rest of the world is wild. Think of it this way. The Augusta National Golf Course situated in the midst of a ginormous pine forest. The pine forest is beautiful. It's excellent. It's gorgeous. But it's not a golf course. And so in the midst of this great garden, these two people, God draws them aside and says to them, and this is really interesting, he says to them, he's not speaking about them like he has the animals and the plants and all of the different things that he's done. He's not speaking about them as he has the stars. He speaks to them and he says the strategy that he wants them to use. God says to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Well, it makes sense, right? I mean, it's, it really makes sense. Look, there's two of you. But you're not going to age the same way. You're already mature. You've got to think they're probably created in their mid-20s to 30s, somewhere around there, what we would think of those ages, right? All of the plants are already producing fruit. All of the animals are ready to reproduce. He doesn't make babies, right? Adam and Eve aren't made like this big. They're made full-blown adults. And he says, look, here's what I want you to do, is I want you to take this garden, and I want you to take the garden and have it expand the whole globe. This gorgeous golf course needs another 18 holes, and then another 18 holes, and then another 18 holes, and then another 18 million holes, so that it takes over the whole planet. We're going to get rid of the wild, and we're going to make it all manicured and beautiful. Now, if the two of you attempt to do this by yourself, 
you would be both insane and tired, even though there's no fall and you can't really get tired that way, but whatever. You'll never get this accomplished. It'll take you forever. So what I want you to do is to multiply. Make little helpers. Right? My parents used to joke when I was younger, what am I here for, mow the grass? My dad would say, yes, that's absolutely why you're here. That's why we made you. And there's actually a sense in there, that's actually biblically true. You were made to cut the grass. Wow, Dad, brilliant theology. Well done. To make more helpers. But the interesting thing is, is it doesn't just say make more helpers, be fruitful, multiply. But what's implied in that is that in order to make more helpers, this husband and wife have to be intimate. And in order to be intimate, there actually has to be relationship. You see, that's actually the point that he's making. Strategy one to take over the world, strategy one to have this garden grow and encompass the entire planet is to understand and develop the existence of relationships. It's interesting to understand that the first aspect of our prime directive, the first aspect of how to take over the world is to understand that we're not alone. To understand that we exist together, we exist in relationship, and to exist in intimacy. And you see right here in the garden, it's originally built on the family structure. Adam and Eve, husband and wife, be fruitful and multiply. You two, go do the married thing, go make more babies. And keep doing that, making more babies. And they're going to eventually grow up, and then they're going to do the married thing, and then they're going to make more babies. But it's all happening in the family context. You know, we're going to see it interesting. The family context ends up getting broken shortly, and it doesn't work the way it's designed to work, and those babies begin to kill each other. Well, that's not good. And ultimately, in the New Testament, this family thing is augmented and sometimes actually replaced by a new family called the church. So that you have Jesus making statements like, if you don't hate your father or mother in comparison to me, you're not worthy of me. You're like, what? The family's good. Yes, it is. But there's a new family, a spiritual family, a family that has been replacing, augmenting what's taking place here. It's important to understand that these strategies for how to take over the world are very inherent. They're very connected. They are the very fiber of what makes us us. It's what makes us people. Think about it. He creates man in his own image, male and, fail, male and female, he creates them, and then the first way to take over the world is to employ the male and female aspects of who they are. To exist in relationship, to be together, to be intimate, to be involved, to know each other, to grow and love and live together as people. Second strategy for taking over the world. First, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Make more of you. But the second is to subdue it and have dominion over the animals. The fish, the birds, the living things, all of it comes under the dominion, the authority of Adam. And Eve. Now, this is intriguing because when we think of the dominion thing aspect, the, the subdue and dominion phase, we almost always view it from inside the curse. 
We view this as creatures who are accustomed to work being hard, are accustomed to weeds being out there, are accustomed to animals being meat eaters. And we forget this is delivered prior to those things happening. And so you have to kind of pause and step back and say, well, what in the world does subduing and, and taking dominion look like prior to the curse? I mean, at this point, you could probably still go for a ride on a T-Rex, and that would have been very cool. But you probably could have because the relationship is very positive. There's not animosity placed between them. right? That takes place after the, uh, after the flood. These animals aren't even cursed. So what does taking dominion and subduing actually look like? Now, this is the interesting part. See, I already tricked you into it. It's expanding the golf course. It's taking the areas that are wild and removing the wild aspect. Meaning, to bring order. To improve function to improve beauty. I will give you a very ridiculous and almost ludicrous example, but it's what you watch happen in a bachelor's house when he gets married. (laughs) When a bachelor lives, he lives, but it's kind of wild. The foods that he consumes are a bit suspect. The arrangement of the things that we would call furniture is loosely useful. But when the touch of the woman comes in and the spouse shows up, and sometimes there's discussion about it, but a lot of times you begin to see this sense of beauty and order and function shows up in the home. And you're like, well, actually, it does make more sense to have the couch there instead of out in the backyard. Fair enough. Good idea. We should get a new couch because that one's been out in the backyard. And you begin to see the order is improved and the function is improved and the beauty is improved so that you walk into a house that's been, you know, they've been married for 40 years and you think, wow, that, that, that was nice. Because you've seen dominion be taken. Now, the interesting thing is, is that what's given to Adam and Eve is not simply the dominion of the home. It's the dominion of the whole world. To think that what do they have to do? Well, he's going to tell them in a second, look, I, I give you all the, the food to eat. So what do you think they have to do is as you make more people, we need to plant more fruit trees. Now, they're going to grow and they're going to produce fruit like crazy, but let's plant them. And you know what? You happen to have a particular fondness for citrus. Let's plant you a citrus grove over here and let's make it ordered beautifully so that you can pick them easily. And let's make it very well functional so that when it's time to feed the family, it's an enjoyable experience because it's beautiful. And functional. And that's what the planet is to take dominion. Now that changes after the fall because now the animals aren't on board anymore. And you can't ride a T Rex, they're dead. They don't want to like it, anyways. And there's this animosity between the animals and us. And there's this animosity between the plants and us. They don't want to grow for us. Crabgrass will grow for you, and it will grow for you easily. But you will not be able to grow Bermuda or fescue without great effort. Because it's cursed. But it's interesting, the strategy doesn't change. To improve the beauty and to improve the function of the world in which we live. 
You know, this is a really intriguing aspect because this is one of the best arguments for why Christians are supposed to be scientists. Why do we want people going into research and development to figure out how to make water more clean? And why do we want people like Chad working in the nuclear industry to figure out how to make more power? And why do we want people to maintain their yards well in their home? Because they're fulfilling the command to take over the world. They're improving the beauty and the function of the creation around us. Well, okay, those are your two strategies. And we go, well, okay, that's, that's helpful and all. I mean, and we're going to take over the world, all right? So that's our main thought. Our main point, why am I here? Well, I'm here to take over the world, and in doing so, I'm going to glorify God. That's the implied part. Glorify God by taking over the world, okay. And the two strategies that I have are to exist in relationship with one another, exist in relationship with him, and then to subdue this whole thing called creation, to organize it and beautify it. Okay, well, that's cool and all. I'm ready to go. He doesn't, he doesn't stop there, though. He doesn't say, okay, go. One, two, three, break. He says, you actually are going to need to have resources. This is not simply going to be a thing where you can just take over. You're going to actually need to have not just a game plan. You're going to need to have resources. And so what does he do? 29. Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. There are your resources. What are you allowed to eat? Anything with seed or anything with fruit? Go. Now, it doesn't say you can't eat the animals. It's implied. No steak eating for Adam. Right? Go eat the plants. Your body is absolutely designed for it. It hasn't fallen yet. You don't need protein the same way. But go. Anything that doesn't have the breath of life, the plants, you can eat and enjoy. The negative side effects are probably not going to be there the same way. Go and enjoy God is giving them a tremendous amount of resources. Think about actually what he just said. The plants are your food and your body's designed for. Well, how, how common are plants? They're everywhere. How common are plants in a garden? That's kind of the definition of a garden. Take these resources that I've given you. I've given you all of the abundant resources that you possibly need. I've blessed you above and beyond all blessing. Now take this and go and take over the world. And then tactical note number two, not just that you have resources, but that the animals have a similar but different ecosystem as well. Meaning, guess what? The animals eat the same things that you do. The T-Rex was a plant eater. And you're like, well, it has big, scary teeth. Guess what? So do bears. And they're plant eaters too. At this point in human history, the beast of the earth, the birds of the heavens, the creeping things, everything that has the breath of life, meaning not plants, he's given them green plants for food. So you're going to share the same type of ecosystem, but it's going to be different. Because while y'all are both eating plants, you're the ones in charge. So you need to figure out how to subdue the planet so that they can eat plants and you can eat plants and no one starves. So what does taking over the planet look like? Well, it means that you're probably going to need to have some sort of pastures so that your cows and such can eat that type of food and you're not going to. And you're going to need to have plenty of trees that produce apples and oranges and bananas and whatever else grows on trees. I have no idea. 
And you can eat that stuff, and they can eat their stuff, and you're going to have to organize and maintain it. Their ecosystem is both similar, but at the same time, very, very different. And 31, God saw everything he had made, and behold, this is the, there's actually a different assessment here. It's not good. This is the first time he says it's not good. It's very good. It's right. It's finished. It's perfect. It's done. It's wonderful. And then I'll make one last point very quickly in conclusion. And that is the implied result of this. Again, this is prior to the fall. So you kind of have to use your, your holy imagination as we take the text and work to the end goal. Say the fall doesn't happen and they continue to do what they're supposed to do. They don't eat of the tree. They take the garden. They begin to expand it. They begin to have children. Those children begin to have children. Those children begin to have children. What happens to this planet? You know, pause. Really, this is actually a very important point. What happens to this planet? The creation itself, the, the flora and the fauna, the plants and the animals flourish because of the wise administration and governance of the people of God. But the cool thing, the highlight of this, the pinnacle of this is that this planet becomes not simply a garden, not just that the Garden of Eden takes over the whole world, but in essence, the Garden of Eden becomes the throne room of God. Because that garden where he walks and talks with his people has consumed the planet. And you have this multitude of millions of people that are worshiping God in this place. You see, that's actually the emphasis of taking over the world. It's not just taking over the world to take over the world's sake, right? He's not saying, hey, guess what? Go be Castro or Stalin or Napoleon or whoever. Pick, pick your person. Go be that guy. He's not saying that. Go be the Turks. Go be Genghis Khan. Go take over the... No, 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 no. What he's saying is, is go take over the world, make other people to worship me, and organize the creation to facilitate that. It's why that Matthew 28 passage that we read is so important, the Great Commission. The Great Commission is actually a restatement of Genesis 1, 28 through 31. What do I want you to do? I want you to take over the world. That has never changed. Your mission has never changed. You are to take over the world. But the way you do it has. Because now you're not just talking about multiplying literally, physically, go make babies. Now it's instead of making babies, it's make disciples. So that single folks who work in the nursery or discipline our children or do whatever, they're participating in making disciples. So now people who were not able to have children can participate in making disciples. So eventually the world will be taken over. But you have to fast forward to the very end of the book, very end of the Bible. As you get these great pictures in Revelation, what, what does the stories in Revelation look like? As it tells us this great apocalyptic into the world, what does it look like? 
And it's kind of a bit visual, a bit graphic. Sometimes we miss and don't understand. But the emphasis, particularly the first four chapters and the last two-thirds of the book, is that the whole earth has been remade into worshipers of God. That's why you see these crazy animals that have like the, the head of a lion and the head of an eagle and the head of an ox. And it's to symbolize that all of creation has been brought into submission and all of the people left worship God. That's the significance. All of the, those that hate God are destroyed and the only ones that are left in the new heavens and new earth are the people that love him. So that Genesis 1 is fulfilled. All right, well, last point, miss this. So what do I do? Well, it's a reenactment of Pinky and the Brain. What do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night. Try and take over the world. And I would say the challenge for us today, biblically, absolutely, is this. Try to take over the world through evangelism, through preaching, praying, through the administration of the sacraments, through taking and making disciples to try to take over the world. It may be the case that our generation is known for that. An intentional effort, this, even this little church, attempt to take over the world. Not for ourselves, not for power, not for our own glory, but that God's glory would be shared through the evangelism of even the furthest, most remotest nations. That Christ would have dominion over land and sea everywhere. May it be so. Amen and amen. Father in heaven, forgive us for being too inward too often and losing sight of the fact that our prime directive is to multiply and take dominion. May it be the case that we have a new and greater passion for making disciples. In Jesus' name, amen.